Welcome to Business Resilience Decoded. From Disaster Recovery Journal and Asphalus Advisors. Now, here's your host, Vanessa Vaughn Matthews. Welcome to Business Resilience Decoded. I am your host, Vanessa Vaughn Matthews, the founder and chief resilience officer of Asphalus Advisors. We have an accomplished guest lined up for you today, speaking on the topic of the intersection of reputation, management, and resilience. So let's jump right in and meet our guest, James Donnelly, the Director of Issues and Crisis Management at M. Booth. James, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Vanessa. How are you? <laughs> Very good. And I should stop. I don't call you James. I actually call you JD. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people who know me who listen to this are going to say, who's James? Because I've been going by the nickname JD for a long time. So uh, feel free to call me JD or James, either one. <laughs> Can you tell our listeners about yourself and how you got into the world of crisis management? Sure, absolutely. I think it was a mix of capitalism and and curiosity. I started as an intern reporter um, at nights when I was in college. I thought for sure I was going to be a a journalist. And this is going to date me a little bit. I remember asking my editor at the time, now, the people on the other end of this fax machine, these PR people, do they make more than we do? And he said, oh, yeah. And I said, well, I'm going to make the jump then. Um, And I did. Uh, My first real job out of college was at a PR firm. And I'm the coolest folks in the room were these crisis management people. I didn't even know that existed. They can never really talk about what they were working on. Everything they were working on that we kind of knew about uh, was super cool. And I said, boy, if, if that's getting James Bond into my system without getting shot at, that sounds like the right career for me. So that's that's how I did it. Um, wound up jumping to another PR firm uh, and then a few years later found a few mentors who really helped me out. And, and I've been doing reputation management and crisis management ever since. Because I had the pleasure of knowing you, I know your background and the types of organizations that you've worked with. But for our, our listeners who are new to who JD is, sure. can you give a little bit of a feel for the type of work that you do, the types of customers that you've worked with before, sure. um, share some of those cool stories? <laughs> you bet. You bet. Um, so I, I'm pretty good about guarding all the client names of organizations I've worked with. but. The previous PR firm I was with and the firm I'm with now and Booth, we, we have some pretty top tier clients. And I think in the Fortune 100, I think I've worked with like 20 of the top Fortune 100 companies. The number gets even bigger if you go to the Fortune 500. Everything from major higher ed institutions that have had major crises that everyone knows about. We've worked with some plane crashes. We've done hotel bombings. Sadly, we were involved in, and I was directly involved in, in a lot of the major shootings that have happened the last few years, whether it's Parkland or, or the one in Las Vegas. So on behalf of blue chip clients, we've we've really run the gamut of, of hand most crises that folks know about. Uh, and I'm pretty careful about not saying which one we've done and which one we haven't, but I, most of your listeners can suspect that they know a few things that I've, I've led. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. And so thinking about the title of this podcast, the intersection of reputation management and resilience, JD, what is reputation management? Yeah, so, you know, it's a great question. I, it's It could be a number of things. I, I'll start with I think it begins when brands and corporations illustrate their mission, vision, and values to the stakeholders, right? And and so they're managing their reputation by saying and illustrating all the right things about what they stand for, and then more importantly, 
doing those things, right? That's reputation management. The part that I think we want to cover here is the hard parts of reputation management, whether it's issues management, which I define as long-term situations that can tarnish a brand or tarnish an organization, or crisis management, which is those sudden intense moments when all your stakeholders and maybe not even stakeholders, maybe audiences and the public at large are looking to see how you're going to handle the situation. That's certainly that part of reputation management has been my profession. Uh, They call it the dark side (laughs) of reputation management. But I think for your listeners, you know, I'm very cognizant that your listeners are business continuity folks and risk management folks. And I think that we need to stay in those lanes. I don't build business continuity plans. I don't build risk management plans, but I need to be conversant about those plans because our disciplines need to be aligned. And I don't think I should ever write a business continuity plan, just like I think the folks that do business continuity probably shouldn't write a reputation management plan, but we all should work together because that's when organizations and brands and and corporations are really going to benefit from our combined experience. I love that. And and I'm going to circle back to that. But before I do that, as you talked about what reputation management is, what I thought about is it's something that's building, right? It, It doesn't have a start and a stop time frame. Right. And so my question for you is, what's the difference from from your perspective between building that reputation and then maintaining it? That's a great, a really great question. I and, and keep in mind, I've worked I've had I've been very fortunate to work with blue chip organizations. And you can argue that their reputations were already built by the time they worked with my previous agency or with M Booth. But with that said, I think when you're building reputation, I think the first thing from a from a communication standpoint is you got to know what your story is. Whether you sell widgets or whether you sell a service, you have to have a compelling story for the public. And that story is part of building your reputation. So it starts there, I think. But then it's, it's everything you do, right? Building your reputation is setting an expectation and then meeting it or exceeding it. That absolutely builds your reputation. I think it's making sure you're having conversations of influence Right, making sure that your senior executives are talking to stakeholders, are to, are building alliances, whether it's within an industry or whether it's with certain NGOs. I think all of that lends itself to building your reputation. Maintaining it, boy, with with today's public being so fickle on how they stick with brands and stick with companies, you know, we, we're learning more and more that. The days of sticking with one brand of soda, you know, for five generations are gone. You know, if particularly with millennials and, and some Gen Z folks, you know, if, if they're not happy with how you responded to, let's say, an LGBTQ plus issue, well, they're going to change brands. And so maintaining your reputation is living it every day, redefining what you stand for in some cases, maybe meeting a higher standard for yourself, especially if you're one of the leading brands. I think more is expected of you. It's a great question because building, you, you could argue that you should be always building your reputation. So maintaining is, is part of that. Now, our professions, Vanessa, you know, again, we focus on when things don't go well, right? The issues, the long-term issues that create tarnish or the right. sudden crises. And I think maintaining really is, those are the proving points. That's when you have to make sure that you're living those values and living what you stand for when the spotlight is on. You know, I think the public is pretty forgiving when bad things happen to organizations and brands, 
but they're pretty unforgiving if they feel like you're trying to spin your way out of it or not meet what they expect from you. Absolutely. So I hear the underword trust yes. is critical. You know, I always say who you are in crisis will come out. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, there's there's a famous, you know, famous thing about, I guess it was Abraham Lincoln that said, you know, the character is who you are, but reputations like the I have reputations like a tree. The character is what it is, but the, it's the shadow is the reputation, you know, and, and it boils down to character. Absolutely. And your authenticity. So I love that. Yes. Um, so with the point that you made earlier about professionals and the business continuity, risk management space, and then from your perspective, the issues, crisis management, crisis communications, where does resilience intersect from, from your perspective? I don't know when this podcast will be released, but at the time that we're recording this, in the next two or three days, we're going to be issuing a blog post at Booth that talks about brand resilience and, reputa- and corporate reputation resilience, which is a little different. So very timely question. To, to me, and you'll see this when you see the blog post, I think resilience in, in my space, in the reputation space, has to do with being complete. I think that there's several levels of reputation resilience, and I think it starts with having plans and tools in place. That's the the baseline level. And in my unscientific look at sort of my experiences with clients over the past 25 years, I'd say maybe 80% of our clients have good plans and tools. A level up from there is having good training and testing, right? Making sure that your people are being trained against those tools, against your protocols, testing through simulations. I'd say about 60% of the companies I work with get there. The next level up is making sure that there's alignment and endorsement from the executives. I can't tell you how many times I've seen organizations, large organizations, in the middle of a crisis, a big enough of a crisis that the senior executives get involved and they say, yeah, we don't care about what that plan says. This crisis is too big. We're just going to go in this direction. And that suggests that they were never really endorsed on the protocols and and never really aligned against them, which is horrific. I'd say maybe 40% of the companies I work with or 30% get there. There's only two more layers. And and that is ongoing issues management, right? So crisis management is having the plans, doing the training, having an endorsed mindset, everything we've talked about. But issues management is actively talking about certain things like sustainability or diversity inclusion. You know, how many companies are out there talking about that and making making a difference and closing gaps, right? So sadly, we talk about issues management all the time, but in practice, I don't see many organizations doing that as much as they probably should. And then the last part, which is the tip of this pyramid, is having an anticipatory team that is willing to be resilient on anything that comes your way. So this kind of goes beyond the planning and the training. You know, I think as we watch the Me Too situation migrate from sports to Hollywood, we three, four years ago were telling all sorts of brands and corporations, you've got to be ready for this. This is the beginning of a trend. And I don't care if it fits on your risk management grid or not. <laughs> Most organizations, let's say you're a consumer product manufacturing, you know, you make widgets, you have a risk management grid that talks about supply chain problems and recalls and things. You know, sometimes things like Me Too aren't going to fit in that risk, but it has to. If it's something that's in the Vox Populi, if, it, you know, if, the, if the, the people and the media are talking about it, you got to be ready for it. That's the highest level of resilience. I, I, I think that very few, I would say maybe 5% of these massive organizations I work with have these teams that say, hey, 
This is something that's happening in the news. It's happening in the culture zeitgeist. We need to be ready for this. Let's pull a team together today and see where we stand. And that's, I don't want to sound too salesy, but at Embooth, that's what we're pushing clients towards is, is having all five of those tiers and being as resilient as you can by having all five. You can't, you can't miss on any of those tiers. You just can't. With that comment being made, what does it look like to have reputation management without the other elements of resilience? I said this just last week to a, a client. If you're missing one of those sections, it's like having a house that's missing missing something significant, right? It's like having a house that's missing a floor or a roof or a doors. I guess, and he, my client joked and said, well, you're the crisis guy, so I guess in your house, it's making sure plumbing, <laughs> um, which is a good analogy. Far too many organizations are missing the whole package. And, I, and I'm speaking within my sphere of reputation management. When you talk about how your profession, business continuity, risk management, needs to intersect with my profession, that's a whole nother conversation, right? I'm just trying to get the reputation management resilience pyramid but we also have to make sure that we're talking across our disciplines and making sure that the business continuity plan, if you have a disaster and you need to recover from that, that the reputation management plan fits nicely in there um, and aligns with that. I think I answered your question there, but, but yeah, you can't miss any of these. It's like having a house without a roof. Absolutely. So speaking about that communication and talking across the aisle, for some organizations, some folks may be a team of one managing an entire business continuity program globally. Um, They may have a function inside of the company who's responsible for cybersecurity, global physical security, risk management. Mm -hmm. And some of them may also wear the hat of crisis management while crisis communication may be covered by the PR team. What is your recommendation as a communicator? What's your recommendation on how we as professionals can be better about communicating and, and talking across the aisle? Uh, Yeah, I'll point to my profession first. I need to see more corporate communications folks and more PR folks understanding what the business continuity, risk management, and emergency health and safety folks do for a living. We need to have those meetings. I I learned pretty early in my PR career that I needed to understand that all of those worlds to write a better plan. You know, back in the day when I first started in this business, Gosh, it was all about standby statements. Just write the standby statements and we'll be okay. Well, that's, that is so incomplete. <laughs> you know, I, I need to know, if, for an active shooter situation, I need to know what the protocols are. If I'm representing a retailer, I need to know what the emergency management people are going to be doing before I can write confidently in a, in a crisis plan what our communications are, right? We need to know that next of kin notification needs to happen if there, you know, if there is a, uh, somebody gets killed. We need to know what is expected from outside officials, from law enforcement. You know, we need to know that they're not going to let us talk while a situation is ongoing. Uh, and that's proper. So again, I think my profession needs to step up and, and learn a lot of those other disciplines. Um, I encourage other disciplines to reach out to us. Uh, you know, the communicators, uh, we're good listeners. <laughs> and um, I'm going to put the onus on us. JD, you've talked a little bit about this in terms of some of the percentages that you shared, but what examples can you share of the organizations or people who manage this intersection well? And we definitely appreciate your client confidentiality, but, yeah. you know, what does that look like? The ones that it's not going to surprise you, 
I think the companies that do reputation management and issues and crisis management well are the ones that are good at everything. They're good brands that you know. Usually they have really good products, really good services. If you call the customer care department, you have a good experience. Those are the ones, ironically, <laughs> that have the really good issues and crisis plans and really good, all the resilience things that we talked about. It's like the good writers that always go to the editors and ask for feedback, right? An editor will tell you all the bad writers never ask me a question, <laughs> but the good ones want to know how they're doing. So those are the ones that are doing it well. Uh, you know, the runner-ups in, in each of the industries, maybe less so. I remember going to, I won't name the company, but I'll tell you it was in the hospitality industry. I remember talking to a prospective client and they said, yeah, we don't need issues and crisis management. We do it every day. And I, I remember saying, well, if you're doing it every day, I would say that you're not doing crisis management. You're doing crisis response. If you're doing it every day, something's not right with your business. You know, and you need to get on top of it. I think that's the key is, is folks that want to stay on the front foot. The, the, the last thing I'll say on this is we are blessed as human beings with 2020 hindsight. And I think you'll find that as industries go through crisis period, they tend to get better at planning and training and all of that. So, for example, if you're in higher ed right now, you better have pretty good admissions policies. <laughs> you don't want to be dealing with you know, the stuff that's come up in the admissions scandal recently. If you're an aircraft manufacturer or an airline, you better have pretty good safety protocols given what's going through in the news right now. You know, a few years ago, restaurant safety because of some pretty high profile food safety risks, you know. So I find that it, it, our whole industry, sadly, is backwards, right? Big event happens, and then all of the companies and brands in that industry want to fix it. <laughs> and so that's where we, I don't know if it's the same in your line of business, but it's this, in, in reputation management, that's where we get all of our planning budgets. Uh, it's, it's reversed <laughs> from what it should be, right? But that's who we are. We're humans who have uh, great hindsight. So, um, so yeah, so that's uh, kind of how the business has been the last few years. So, J.D., let me get your feedback here. Is it safe to say that if your organization is not in the news or you're not experiencing a lawsuit, then you're probably one of those groups that manages that intersection well? Is that a safe thing to say? Mm, I, I don't want to go there. I, you know, there's plenty of good organizations that do attract media attention but are doing good things and are having to defend themselves um you know, day in and day out. I, I wouldn't say that. I would say that if it's a brand that's doing it, that's meeting so many different stakeholder expectations and, and doing it well, usually they're, they've got good systems in place when things go bad. Right. So yeah, I wouldn't want to, because look, today's media is so sensational and I, I have many friends who are journalists and I know what that industry is going through. Sadly, though, it has led to a very sensational headline-driven culture right now. For a lot of organizations, that's not fair. Um, so you have good organizations that sort of get dragged through the mud a little bit. You also have activists and, and folks that just don't like certain organizations that have a much bigger pulpit <laughs> now to spread their anger. You know, that doesn't necessarily make a brand bad if people are talking ill of it. It's how the organization responds. Um, and that's the resilience bit, right? You and I talk about all the time how resilience is the ability to bounce back. If you're a massive brand, you're probably facing more threats day in and day out. 
but it's how you respond to those. That's different than the organization I spoke to that said, well, we have crises every day. That's different. <laughs> That's not suggesting the media is calling every day. It's just that we have bad things happen, right? Absolutely. And here's why I asked that question, right? Because yeah. I sometimes meet companies that say, well, hey, well, we've never been, been through a crisis, so we're fine. Some people may think that, you know, hey, we haven't had to go through anything, so what do I need to be prepared for? But I personally think that that muscle memory is critical. I agree with you. Look, the organizations that haven't gone through it need to go through it. And that's what simulations are about, right? It's about making sure that you, you're battle tested. You know, any organization that has a board of directors, you know, some, and is untrained in a real crisis, their board better be pressing them to get good <laughs> pretty quickly through a simulation. You know, because you don't want to fake it the first time out when you do have a crisis. Every organization will have a crisis at some point. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I know I'm singing off the same sheet music as you on this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So um, we've we talked about this before. Um, so for our listeners sake, what's the challenge facing most organizations at this intersection? Is it support? Is it budget? Is it, hey, I don't know what to do? What are the the challenges that you see organizations facing? Yeah, you know, I listened to some of the podcasts you've done in the last few weeks, Carnegie Mellon, Amazon, Brinks, and and I I did that partially because they're really, really good podcasts, but also just to see however, how other folks are thinking about this. And and my answer is going to be similar. You know, it's, there's only so many resources, you know, time, uh, people, money. And so I get that organizations need to make difficult choices on this because we are essentially an insurance policy. But out of all those things, the one thing I didn't hear in, in your previous podcast is this, it's priority. Executives and boards need to make this a priority before we even get to the money, before we get to the staffing, before we get to the time it takes. This needs to be reputation management, business continuity, risk management. It needs to be a priority for an organization. You know, name me any person that doesn't risk manage their lives, right? We save money in the bank uh, for any day. We buy insurance policies because we don't want bad things to happen, hopefully. And if you're a major organization that is hiring people and, and doing good services in the community and providing a product and you don't have this shored up, you know, shame on you. So I, it, to me, it boils down to priority. It has to be a priority. You know, hopefully that will be the case going forward. Absolutely. Um, I love that piece. Make it a priority. And especially if your leadership team may not be aware or may not understand why it needs to be a priority. I think that goes back to the communication piece. And, you know, what are those things that, that we can do or how can we leverage the experiences that we have to help share that communication across that ship team? Love it. Agree. So, JD, where can our listeners find you? Are you a Twitter guy, Facebook, <laughs> LinkedIn? <laughs> yes, uh, I, I am on Twitter. It's James J. Donnelly, and that's D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y, uh, all one word. Uh, I try to make my Twitter my place where I'll share some thoughts on issues management. I'll be honest that golf slips in there from time to time because I'm a golf addict, but uh, yeah. Or um, you could just go to the MBooth website. We are putting POVs up uh, every couple of months. And, and as I mentioned, the brand resilience piece will be going up soon. So you can, you can find our POV and find me there. 
All right. And just for our listeners, what's a POV? <laughs> oh, a, a point of view. Sorry. Our <laughs> thought leadership point of view, um, think pieces, that, that type of stuff. Well, I learned something new today. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're even because I learned something new from you every time we speak. So uh. <laughs> Awesome. Well, there you have it. Thanks for tuning in to Business Resilience Decoded with the Disaster Recovery Journal and Asphalus Advisors. Subscribe, share, download, and look out for future episodes. Business Resilience Decoded is produced and edited by John Seals. For more information, visit drj.com slash decoded and asphalusadvisors.com slash decoded. Write to us on Twitter at drdecoded. decoded.